Y'all, we are almost done with 2020. I know. I just, but you've got to remember, it's not like this magic is going to just happen when it the clock strikes midnight. Are you telling me that we don't live in a Hallmark movie and when the holidays happen, it just changes, everything changes, everything's good from then on out? No, no, that's that's well, why fuck. it's in the movies. <laughs> but you know what? I will say one thing I've really enjoyed doing this year, more so than I have like any years prior. I've always liked decorating for Christmas, but this year I like put my tree up before Thanksgiving. Like, yeah, y'all, that was me. I don't even care. It's Ugh. 2020. And I am one of those people that like if it made sense, I would. I would keep a Christmas tree up year round. It just changes. Oh my God. <laughs> it Why? Because it changes the atmosphere of the the room. It's just so cozy. I love, I love it. I love having up a Christmas tree. I like how as you're talking about your Christmas tree, that's when my cats decide, let's fuck with the tree. They're playing with my tree behind me. Um, Yeah. I mean, this year, this is the first year I've ever put up a Christmas tree. Or, like, done any decorating. I don't decorate for Christmas at my apartment because I live alone and I just... It makes me feel not sad, but I'm, like, putting up ornaments for me and only me. And also, it's just... I don't really care. And I think most holiday colors are, like, kind of ugly. Or not ugly. It. I think a lot of holiday decorations can very easily veer into gaudy. That is and true. And I don't... I don't have, like, kids or a family or people, like, come into my apartment to where it's, like, oh, it's cute that you have a big, like, wooden Santa that's hand-painted by three-year-olds. That would be weird if I had that in general. I don't know who I got that from. Uh, But, yeah, this year, I was like, you know what? Sure, I'll put up a tree. And I enjoyed it. And the cats enjoy it, too. You say all of that as if I don't also live alone. And um, mine don't make me sad. And... Knock on wood, Willow ignores the Christmas tree for the most part. She's not trying to climb it. They haven't tried to climb it yet, but oh my god, they want to take the balls off. I think it's just like revenge that I neutered them, so they're trying to neuter my tree, but they get They get it's not the same thing, right? I don't think they do. (laughs) I think they think I just have testicles hanging from the tree. (laughs) Gross. Like those (laughs) trucks that have like the the balls. I I hate those. I hate them so much. I'm like, we get it. Your ego is tiny, and so is your dick. <laughs> we don't need to see your little fake plastic truck nuts or whatever. <laughs> that sounds disgusting, truck nuts. Um, well, with that, hey, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And um, that is the official Blood and Wine podcast opinion on truck nuts. <laughs> them <laughs> we hate them um but about things we don't hate that are holiday related you know what i have been in the mood for and found that i can sort of do it with almond milk what hot chocolate oh i forget that Matt, wow everything about hot chocolate is kind of bad news for you i mean yeah and there's like powdered milk and stuff in it but whatever but yeah uh i just microwave Almond milk. I've been having a lot of hot cocoa. In that way, I feel like I do live in a Hallmark movie because I feel like in every Hallmark movie, they're like, (laughs) the hot cocoa. I'm like, who has this? Who is always drinking hot cocoa? Have you seen? Me. 
have you seen the things that are like the big ball like of chocolate with the marshmallow in the middle or something? And you put it in the your mug and you pour your hot water or milk over it and it melts the chocolate and it's you should look them up. They're really cool. I mean, yeah, you can also just open a packet and pour powder. God, I do live a sad bachelor life when I say <laughs> things like that. You do. You're like, did you know you can buy a whole dinner in a box? It's called macaroni and cheese. <laughs> just my entire life is just, you put like a gray slate filter over it. It's me like heating up frozen TV dinners. Oh my God, I am in a Hallmark movie. <laughs> because then the like love of my life, he owns a Christmas tree farm. Uh, I run into him at a... um. Not a grocery store, because we don't go to those anymore. Maybe in the elevator. Oh my god, it could be a quarantine Christmas! He coughs on me and has to quarantine in my apartment for some reason. (laughs) Also, he owns a Christmas tree farm. And his name, Chris Massey. Which is a real person's name from a Hallmark movie. It has like Melissa Joan Hart in it. His name is Chris Massey. Christmassy. I I get it. I get it. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) I, I know you feel the complete opposite. I hate Hallmark Christmas movies. They're trash. I thought you were about to start talking about things you like and uh, stop talking about things you hate. Yet you have, you have uh, yet again transitioned into things you don't like about the holidays. I can't stay too positive for that long. It drains me. Well, I do love Hallmark movies, but this is not a Hallmark movie podcast. I would listen to that, though. You hate them, though. No, but I love watching movie or watching like YouTube videos of people like breaking down shitty Hallmark movies. Oh my god. <laughs> Am I the Grinch? I think so. That or Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, I don't think I'm the Grinch. The holidays are fine. I just have the song in my head from the Grinch, all the noise, noise, noise. And I can hear you saying that. I mean, if you're the kind of people that launch fireworks For like the three days before and after Christmas. Yes. (laughs) Fair. Because also I'm like, you know, where I live, you know, America, my first thought is gunshots. It's so unfortunate. But yeah, I get it. On that note, I'm going to chat about Patreon. (laughs) Okay. Because that's that's a road we've gone down before and we'll go down again, but not right now because this is a holiday episode. So we're full of holiday cheer and Patreon cheer. So if y'all have not checked out our Patreon, it is Bloodwine Podcast. Head over to it. There you can check out all of our different uh, murder minis. We do exclusive Patreon drink with us, live streams, hangouts. Um, We're going to be doing another one of those in January. And I think we're going to be doing them quarterly is the plan. So if you want to, in January, pour yourself a glass of either wine or, I don't know, if you have some hot apple cider left over, dump like a thing of whiskey in it. Drink with us, chat with us. We love seeing y'all. Um, but yeah, head over to Patreon. Also, we have a bunch of different benefits from shoutouts in the podcast to directing your own episode. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or on whatever podcast listening platform you're listening to on us now. Make sure you've hit the follow or subscribe button and you're going to get alerts for every time we've got a new episode. And also tell your friends about us. So, Today's topic. Um, 
obviously we're just going to continue trucking along to the North Pole with this holiday cheer, um, turning it into holiday fear. Eh? It's about holiday murders. That's what we're talking about today. Murders that happen uh, during the holidays. Yes, sometimes the holidays aren't so cheery. Mm-hmm. And also, there's a lot of holidays uh, in December. I mean, there's Christmas, there's Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Boxing Day. All which, the holidays. I don't know what, all the holidays. What do you do for Boxing Day? I don't know. Punch I th- people. I think the Box. banks. <laughs> the banks are closed. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the banks close for any reason. They're like, um, guys, it's warmer than eighty degrees, but. Colder than 85 degrees day, it's a bank holiday. Hey, you guys, it's raining and it's Tuesday. The bank's closed. And even when they're open, they're like, guys, our hours are 11 to 1. (laughs) We're actually only open when you are working. So we get your work schedule. We look at it. That's our hours. You You try to take a lunch break, we're closed all of a sudden. (laughs) Oh my god, that would be horrible. But yes, we're talking about holiday murders. All the holidays are included. But before we get into murders, we're going to open our wine. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go get my bottle. Me too. Well, maybe not bottle, but you'll see. Today, I will be drinking the 2018 La Sonriente Granacha from Spain. And this is a $7 bottle from Trader Joe's. And it is one of those where it's like, holy shit, this is really good for the value. Like it really stands on that. It doesn't taste like a $7 bottle. It tastes like a $20 bottle. Ooh. I looked at a really awesome review from the Reverse Wine Snob. And she has a blog that basically the whole premise of it is good wine doesn't have to be expensive. And so as we've talked about time and time again, we agree Mm -hmm. with that. But also as we've done time and time again, she gets a lot of her wine from Trader Joe's to review. Her blog's really fascinating. I really enjoyed it. And she was saying that it's pretty hard to go wrong with a Garnacha from Spain And so this wine in particular has a deep aroma of red cherry, cranberry, and other red berries with a little bit of leather, wintergreen, and baking spice. Ooh, that sounds very holidays. Yeah, and very much heavy on those red fruits. It's a medium-bodied wine that starts with these ripe red fruits in the mouth, and then it has a very elegant earthiness that happens around your mid palate that's when you taste those like nutty earthy notes there's also touches of tobacco cola and some nice minerality throughout cola yeah i know that one i was like so like coca-cola what are we getting at here well apparently like the cola flavor it's from the cola nut that is not used anymore but like, that's the specific flavor. And I'm like, huh, interesting. Because I don't know. I don't ever think of cola as a flavor. I don't either. But also, I know it is a flavor. I know. I, I mean, to me, it is truly Coca-Cola. But, Brown soda. <laughs> but I know it's not. So this wine's wonderfully balanced. It has subtle complexity. And this is one of the things that's really fantastic about Grenaches from this region it ends with a long and dry finish where you've got even even more earthy notes 
and a little bit of fruit to finish you out with a long-lasting hint of root beer. So apparently this mm. is going to taste like a six-pack of pop. Where the hell are you from that you say pop? <laughs> I don't. I'm just kidding. I say Coke. But the reason I picked up this wine bottle is because I'm obsessed with the label. It's got one of those one-line oh. drawings, and it's a silhouette of a woman's face. And there's like a little bird. But it's just, it's so pretty. And I was like, yeah, I, I need to try this wine. I love the bottle. I want one of those like drawings, the one-line face drawings. I want one like on a canvas in my living room. Um, My friend has one, and it looks amazing. So I'm going to get into this. I'm using my handy dandy key wine opener, my favorite. This is actually the one we got from a listener. I'm obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. I stole it. It's I won't amazing. Let, I won't let Tyler have it. She won't. Every time we see each other, I'm like, oh, darn, I don't know where it is. I always know exactly where it is. I keep it in my purse. And there was like no pop because I pulled it all the way out. But here we go. it definitely has the scent of those ripe red fruits like immediately i'm getting cherry cranberry just very red on the nose like rudolph (laughs) i'm really looking forward to trying this because when it says like all these earthy notes and leather and tobacco this is like all of my favorite things so i really want to try it yeah but before i am allowed to do that you have to open <laughs> before you're allowed to. <laughs> yes, Tyler yells at me if I drink early. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but so do you. It goes both ways. But before I try this wine, Tyler, what wine are you drinking? Well, I'm not actually drinking a wine today. Uh, I am having the Austin East Ciders Limited Edition Cranberry Cider. Okay, I'm really intrigued i have seen this like on instagram probably because i follow them but i've seen it and i'm really curious like if it's good or not it sounds like something that could be really good or like nasty um i think it's gonna be good because i love cranberry like my favorite juice is cranberry juice i think i'm an old person (laughs) but whatever um, and Austin East Cider, so y'all know my love for Strongbow Cider. In the U.S., other than, now that you can get Strongbow, finally, ah, but other than Strongbow, the closest ciders I've ever had to that are the Austin East Cider's original and then Seattle Cider. So I love Austin East Cider's, their regular one. It's a very tart, crisp cider. And when I was in England, I had black currant cider that was like tart and fruity and stuff that I really liked. So I'm like, ooh, okay, maybe this is going to fall somewhere along that range. Uh, but Austin East Ciders, they say that their cider uses a blend of bittersweet apples and real cranberry juice for a tart yet light and refreshing beverage. You can enjoy on its own or as a base for a holiday punch, which would be great, but no. I want my base for my punch to be like gin. I don't want it to be cider. That's not strong enough for me. Oh, I thought the base was like the juice part. I, I, I just make the, <laughs> I, I always thought the base was just the thing that there's the most of in it. Gin. <laughs> oh my. Am I making my punch wrong or am I making my punch right? <laughs> I think it depends on who you ask. Listen, if your punch doesn't have an entire bottle of, like, gin in it, what are you doing? 
I mean, that's like you're saying that your margarita is a cup of tequila and a shot of lime juice. <laughs> mm-hmm. My famous golden margaritas. <laughs> Ew. Also, <laughs> my measurements are total shit. <laughs> <laughs> no. Damn. Um, but the flavors of the cranberry cider are tart, cranberry, crisp apple, and ripe berries. Uh, the aroma is very ripe berry, and they even gave some food pairings for it, like hearty stews, turkey, and cinnamon desserts. Y'all, I want a hearty stew right now. That I want like some stick-to-your-ribs stew. I just really wish I could try one of these ciders. They sound delicious. They are, and I don't know if you can get... I've only ever seen Austinese ciders in Austin. I'm sure you can get them elsewhere. I'm pretty sure we have it in Dallas. I think. Yeah. I don't think I'm lying about that. I don't know, but I'm going to open it. And it's a six pack of like 12 ounce cans. So maybe I'll have six. Maybe I'll have less than that. Who is to know? Mm. I mean, it smells like cider. Maybe a little berry, but mostly just cider. Mostly just like the tart apple smell. And it's a little bit reddish pink. Oh, you're not pouring it in a glass? Should I? Yeah, let's see the color of this. See, that is pretty pink. Mm-hmm. God, that looks so good. That looks like the Celis oh. raspberry beer. Mm, okay. Well, I am ready to drink this, so let's cheers. All right, cheers. I don't how. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. Cheers. I can't really cheers with an empty can on my glass, but know that I did, y'all. That's good. Do you get those notes of cranberry? A little bit. So it has that tartness. It doesn't have a ton, ton of flavor, which I like because I was worried it was going to be like sweet and fruity and overpowering. But no, it very much is a tart cider with cranberry. I think this is a winner. I hope it's not, like, I hope they don't get rid of it. I hope they extend it. It's a limited edition is all I know. I know, but I'm saying I hope people love it and they're like, you know what? Let's put this on the permanent line. Oh, same. How's your wine? This is a good wine. The minerals and the earthiness are kind of surprising me. So it's got those baking spices in there. I'm actually having a hard time describing this wine because it is earthy. I've got the leather. I'm not really getting hints of tobacco. And it's definitely got some red fruits. And maybe I'm tasting a little bit. I I think it just it has a lot of that very tart cherry. And that mm. mixing with the leather is creating such an interesting taste. It's very like it's good. I'm enjoying this wine. I'm just having a harder time identifying the flavors. Maybe it's that cola. Maybe that's what I'm really confused about. I mean, yeah. I will say, I I know it's a Spanish drink, and I've never done it, and I want to try it. And it kind of is described as like sangria-y flavored, but it's like red wine and Coca-Cola. Oh, I bet that's good. I know. Let me take one more sip of this. Let me see if I can tell you some more. I mean, you're allowed to have the rest of it. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> it's a really complex wine. I will say, for this being $7, I'm getting mm-hmm. so many different things out of it that 
it's not too fruity. It very much has like the that earthiness, that minerality, those hints of leather and tobacco. I guess the cola might be what's tripping up my tongue a little bit. And those red fruits are very much, I, I can't really identify, am I tasting cherry, cranberry, red berries? It really is like this combination of just red fruit. Hmm. There's nothing blue or black about this. Oh, fruit wise. Got it. Yeah, of the fruits. There's no blue fruits. There's no black fruits. It's very much those ripe, bright red fruits. So Please name me any blue fruits other than blueberries. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's that. Yeah, there's the there's the blueberries and there's blackberries that are actually purple. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we have our wine. We have our topic. Brittany, tell me about the holiday murder that you're going to tell me about. Okay, but I'm going to pour a little bit more wine before I jump into this really, really weird case. Okay. Okay, my wine glass is full, and I can now tell you that I will be doing the murder of Michelle O'Dowd. I used quite a few sources on this. The Murderpedia page for the name of the killer. I don't want to say it right now, but when when you find out, you'll know what page I went to. When you find out, you'll find out. When you know, you know. An article on Thought Catalog by Natalia Vela. An article from the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville by Tracy Jones. Another from the Times Union by Beth Reese Cravey. And a third one from the Times Union from Derek Gilliam. Michelle O'Dowd met Patty Michelle White through family members. Patty was an ex-girlfriend of Michelle's nephew, but she was always considered to be a part of the family even like when they dated for a few years and even after patty was just a part of the family oh like she's the one she comes over for thanksgiving and everyone loves her and yeah part of the family yeah part of the family michelle was 67 and patty was 41 and then patty happened to fall on some really hard times and she all of a sudden found herself homeless Michelle was one of the people that had this welcoming spirit and she learned that Patty had nowhere to sleep. And so immediately she was like, nope, you're going to come stay with me. And so Michelle offered her place as somewhere Patty could come until she could get up on her feet. Oh, I love her. She's so nice because like not only did she help Patty with a place to stay, But she also would try to help give Patty odd jobs to earn some extra money. And um, Patty notoriously had a difficult time keeping a job and keeping her life together in general. And even through that, like people would be like, oh, come on, Patty can't hold down this job. Michelle's like, you know what? No, I can help her find this. And if that doesn't work, then I'll think of something else. Just so, so giving. Like, I I don't care that y'all have given up on her. I'm not going to. Exactly. And so Patty lived with Michelle rent-free for a month in her Southside house there in Jacksonville, Florida. And Michelle and Patty did pretty much everything together. Michelle even gave Patty her debit card and PIN number so she could go get their groceries for them. Like they were, I mean, they were basically roommates. But then something happened to their friendship. And Patty ended up leaving Florida, leaving Michelle's house, And she went to South Carolina to stay with some relatives. Oh. When their friendship started to go sour, it was early December 2011. 
One Friday afternoon, Michelle's twin brother, Phil, who really, he was the one in the family that did not like Patty. He was always very suspicious of her. He started to get really concerned when Michelle did not show up for work. She wasn't answering her phone. And this is just like, I mean, think about it. Your sister just all of a sudden doesn't show up for work when she's someone that doesn't commonly do that. She's not answering her phone. And her and, like, I guess her BFF have just had this big fight or something. You don't really know what's happened, but you know Patty's no longer there. Oh, God. Yeah, that would be very concerning. Um, Especially if, like, on top of that, he already does not trust Patty. Right. And like I said, Patty is one of those people that's, like, a part of the family. So it seems like he was one of the only ones that just really didn't trust her. So Phil goes over to Michelle's house to check on her because, again, hadn't heard from her. She's not at work. He's going to go check it out. Yeah. And when he arrived at the house, the door was open and it was a complete mess as if it had been ransacked. Oh, no. The door's open? I mean, it's Jacksonville. It's Florida. But door being wide open in December. I mean, door being wide open in general is not good, but... Oh. People don't normally leave their front door wide open. No, but I mean, like, I don't know. I, it would not necessarily, I mean, in this scenario, it still would be really alarming, but it might not necessarily be as alarming. If it's like, oh, the middle of the summer and stuff, you know? I no, I don't, because I disagree. Like, who has their front door wide open? That's what your back door's for. I guess I'm picturing, like, front door open, but, like, the screen door shut. Okay. Okay. You were making it sound like you just, like, prop your door wide open. I mean, I guess you don't have a cat or a dog if you're just going to prop the front door open. You know what? You get air coming through the house some way. Got to make an air tunnel. Wind tunnel? Wind tunnel. Wind tunnel. Phil walks into the house. Chairs and tables were turned upside down, but... Michelle's car and her dog were still at the house. So her dog didn't go out through the front door? When I said it was open, I mean, number one, maybe the dog didn't go out the front door. Not all dogs run away. I mean, Max wouldn't. Charlie would. I, he loves me, but he would. Charlie tries to run away with the door closed. He's not running away. He wants to run outside. There's different. He wants to run away and return. He wants to explore. He's got some Lewis and Clark in him. A little bit. So when I say the door's open, wide open or at least unlocked. One of the two. Okay. Phil is searching for Michelle and he's not finding her at all. He's walking around the house. You know, he's seeing everything is just a mess. All the tables overturned and he's not finding her. Oh shit. Did Patty like take her to South Carolina? The third time... That Phil walks through the den, he catches something out of the corner of his eye. And it happens to be something he will never forget. Oh. He looks over to the Christmas tree, and he can see Michelle's foot sticking out beneath presents. Oh my god. He went over to her, and he grabbed her foot, and it was cold. He's, I mean, he's, he's standing there, and his sister's body lay there dead. Underneath the masses of Christmas presents that she had purchased for her family and grandchildren. And her face is bloodied and it's covered with a towel. She was 
buried underneath the presence. Yeah, it was as if whoever did this, and I'm not saying like they actually thought hiding her under the Christmas tree was going to work. It was more so she was underneath all these presents. Everything was thrown around. Like clearly there was a burglary. Like that's what is, that's what it looks like has happened. I mean, okay, I'm going to call bullshit on that because I feel like if there's a burglary Probably the first thing that's going to be taken is, you know, these presents under the tree. If you're burglaring, burglar, if you're robbing a house, burglarizing it. And I just, I don't know, the psychology, I don't know. It just makes it seem like a fucked up statement of like burying this woman under Christmas presents for her family and loved ones. Um, seriously. And you have a point, though, when you talk about the house being such a mess, if someone had been robbed, and nothing's really missing, it's, you know, that looks pretty staged. Well, and I feel like one of the things that would say it's staged is like the tables and chairs and shit being flipped over. Because I mean, knock on wood, I'm not going to do it because Max will not enjoy it. But I've never been burglarized. But I feel like If someone's robbing a house, they're not going to be flipping over the tables and the chairs and shit, turning out all the dresser drawers, knocking over the, like, side tables and pulling out drawers and shit. Yeah, because you're looking for stuff. But if you're looking for stuff to steal, you're not going to flip over the table. You could just, you know, (laughs) use your eyes and be like, yep, nothing under there. You don't need to hulk out. Well, and the other big clue that this was not a real robbery is that there was no sign of forced entry. So that's another big thing where it's like, oh, this was totally staged. But also, this pointed things directly to Patty. Because she was one Uh, of the people that had a way like to get into the home. And while she did no longer live here, because again, like I said, she had left and gone to South Carolina, that hadn't been for a long period of time. So Michelle would have welcomed her in. Again, with open arms, like she always does. I mean, yeah, she's the kind of person that, I think, especially after a big fight, if she saw Patty came back, she'd be like, oh my god, I'm so glad you're here. Because I am sure the only thing Michelle wanted was to repair that relationship and help Patty, even after whatever fight or stuff they got into. But unfortunately... Whatever this altercation was, when Patty came to the house, something happened. She ended up strangling Michelle and beat her to death and then hid her body under the Christmas tree. Patty made it look like a burglar, ransacked the home, like I said, knocking things over, throwing Christmas presents around. And then Patty did actually steal Melissa's debit and credit cards, and she was arrested in South Carolina after they were able to locate her through surveillance video at these ATMs. In all, she stole $1,000. $1,000. And it sounds like Michelle's the type of person... I mean, shit. She already was freely giving her debit card to Patty. It sounds like if Patty came to her and was like, I really need money, Michelle would have gladly given it to her to help her out. Also, how dumb are you to steal someone's debit card? I know. Like, that's literally so traceable. I mean, how many cases have we done 
where the killer takes their debit card and stuff. And that's how they're found is because, oh, their debit card was then used in Texas and Nebraska. And they were caught at this roadside diner. I mean, stupid. Well, I mean, but the second she was arrested, Patty confessed. She was like, it was me. Yep, I did it. And what family members who really loved Patty and saw her as another member of the family, mm-hmm. they couldn't even comprehend what had happened. They they were absolutely sickened by the fact that Michelle was buried under the tree, under all of those gifts for her children mm-hmm. and grandchildren. Because Michelle, I mean, number one, that's just so messed up. But number two, Christmas was one of those holidays that was so important to Michelle. She took so much pride in decorating, making her home welcoming and beautiful and buying the presents and wrapping them. And not only to murder someone and then try to stage this stupid looking burglary, but then also using something that they're so proud of to dispose of their body. It's disgusting. Well, it's also, it's like she wanted to specifically scar the memory of Christmas for the entire family. It's not just that Michelle was murdered around the time. It's also putting her body under the tree and under the presence so that, you know, anytime the family members in the future have a, have a Christmas tree with presents under it, are they going to have that image in their mind? Is that going to be a reminder of the holidays and the good times they shared with Michelle? Or is it going to be a reminder of that's, that's what it looked like when they found her body? Like that is just so evil. It is. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of her family no longer puts up a Christmas tree. Yeah. I don't think I could. I don't think I could either. Police and Michelle's family, like I said, they have no idea what happened to turn the friendship to murder. Or what Patty's motives were. Obviously, robbery was a part of it. Um, And also, a lot of people in the community said that they heard someone screaming that night but no one called the police. Really? One of the most frustrating things is when there are witnesses and no one even picked up the phone. Like, I'm not saying go over to the house and check it out, but call the police. That takes little to no effort. Well, and who knows if so? If someone had called the police, maybe Michelle would have survived. Maybe they would have been able to get there in time and saved her. Yeah. Because clearly when Phil visited, like, sorry, this is really morbid, but her body was cold. She had been dead for a while. Clothing and other evidence was taken from the scene, but there was nothing to indicate what started this altercation. Patty at the time, like I said, she'd been staying in York, South Carolina after the fall of their friendship. And what it looked like is that she literally came back down to Jacksonville explicitly to rob Michelle Because right after the crime, she left and went back to South Carolina. Oh my god. After police did find her, I believe she was pulled over for something unrelated. And they extradited her from South Carolina to Florida. She was then charged with Michelle's murder. Patty pleaded guilty in October 2013 of second degree murder in order to avoid a life sentence. And she was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Wow. 
I mean, but for her, because she was like 41 or early 40s. Right. That's essentially a life sentence. Essentially. I mean, I guess she could be late 80s and get out of prison, but people do live that long, not generally. Well, and I don't know what her parole possibilities are. It didn't sound like she didn't have the opportunity for parole, but it's just... There's so much mystery around what actually happened, and Patty's clearly not talking. I know. I think that's one of the things that is also so messed up about all of this. She did all this and damaged so many people in so many specific ways. People that loved and cared for her for years, and then is not going to give even an answer is not going to give any part or any piece of closure. Right. Well, and the thing that I really, really hate is she killed Michelle, who it sounded like would have done almost anything to help her and was doing so many things to help her. And so if robbery was her motive, I agree with what you said earlier. She probably could have just asked Michelle been like, Michelle, I need 500 bucks. And Michelle may have been like, okay, well, let's work out a deal. Um, You can help me do this, but, you know, we'll get you the money you need. Because she was, you could tell she was trying to not completely just hand everything over to Patty, trying to help her, like, rebuild her life in actionable ways. And it just, to murder the person who opened their home to you when you had nowhere to sleep. And not just opened your, opened her home, but opened her family structure to you because it wasn't just her moving in and being a roommate it was really her moving in and being a member of the family you know her giving her a card to go grocery shopping or helping her get jobs around and the fact that she was already basically a part of the family i mean i think that's what's so fucked up is their relationship it sounds like went past roommate past even friends and like was a family relationship and patty clearly didn't see it the same way or she couldn't have done the things she did yeah but that is the murder of michelle o'dowd damn well let's just keep the holiday fear flowing tyler what case are you talking about today the case i'm doing is the monzi hanukkah stabbings And the sources I used, I used the Wikipedia page for the Monsi Hanukkah stabbing, a New York Times article by Rebecca Liebson, Neil Victor, Michael Gold, and Eliza Shapiro, and then another New York Times article by Ari Pebara. So on December 28th of 2019, it is the, yeah, recent. This is a very recent one. You guys, my eyes just got really big because I was not picturing 2019. Oh, it was 2019. It is the seventh night of Hanukkah, which Hanukkah lasts for eight nights. So it's like the second to last one. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in the town of Monzi, New York, which it is like just northwest of New York City. Oh. And at Rabbi Chaim Rottenberg's house, there's almost 100 people. They're gathered because the rabbi, he's lighting the Hanukkah candles and they're having a Hanukkah party. So it's a big get together for the Hasidic Jewish community. They're celebrating. It's Hanukkah. It's the holidays. It's Hanukkah. It's the night before the last night. And yeah, I miss getting together and celebrating things with people. 
Me too. Also, Monsley, it's in Rockland County, and Rockland County has the largest percentage of Jewish residents in any U.S. county. Like, about a third of the people who live in Rockland County are Jewish. One of my best friends is Jewish, and, like, so the last seven, eight years, I think, that we've known each other, I've learned so much about Judaism, and, like... It's so interesting to me because it's a culture and a religion and things are just so tied together. Do you, you know what I mean? Because like we think of mm-hmm. like Christmas and that's not a culture. Like, well, Christmas is a holiday. Hanukkah is a holiday. Christianity is not a culture. It's a religion. I, but Judaism is so much more than just a religion aspect of it. It's a livelihood. I, it is. Well, I read a really interesting article. Um, gosh, it's probably been a couple weeks, months ago, but it was talking about the um, both racial and religious cultural divide and kind of what makes something both a race and a culture and both a religion and a culture and what makes something not kind of thing. And it really got into... Basically, because of the way society is in a lot of the Western world, and specifically the U.S., is members of different minority groups, whether racial minorities or religious minorities, being a part of that really develops into its own culture. Because the general majority, the culture kind of seeps in. Everyone's just like, oh, that's just us. That's everything. Whereas belonging to these different groups that are not the majority really brings together that community aspect. And I think that's why a lot of different, like in the U.S., the vast majority of people um, follow different strains of like Christianity. And so I feel like a lot of times members of different religions, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, it's a lot it's seen a lot more as like a specific culture because it kind of has to be because it's it's something that the general society is kind of not allowing to be the culture right right it's very fascinating to me and i love learning about different cultures and different religions and it's been it's been really fascinating like i was saying Finally having my eyes opened up to something I just flat out wasn't paying attention to previously in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I I knew people who were Jewish growing up. Never once did I ask them about it. So it's it's been so mm-hmm. wonderful having someone that I can ask questions and just learn from. It, literally, I, she's taught me so much. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, little different. Um, but one of my favorite drag queens, Ms. Cracker... She is a New York queen. She's very Jewish. And she has a lot of videos on YouTube talking about Judaism and the history of Hanukkah. She has like an eight-video uh, series that is like for each night of Hanukkah going over different traditions. That is so and cool. Like, I love it so much. And it's it, it's funny. She talks about like, oh, so here's what you say if you're, you know, the boyfriend or girlfriend and you're not jewish don't don't try to speak hebrew to the family like don't and it's just so it's funny but it's also a lot of learning and i really appreciate it and i don't know i've learned so much just from her yeah 
also, I was supposed to see her in February, but... Got canceled. <laughs> fucking coronavirus. Anywho. But that vaccine is going out. Yes. Yes, it is. Y'all. I am absolutely on like, a... the bottom of that list, but eventually I'll get it. Yes, but there is there is a light at the end of this dark tunnel, and we all just got to band together, be safe, be smart, and we will get through this. But with that, let's jump back to this Hanukkah party that is about to have a very dark turn. So just before 10 p.m., a man barged into the house with a scarf covering his face, and he shouted, no one is leaving. And... At Rabbi Rottenberg's house, it's, like, open to everyone. Like, he's that kind of guy. It's open to his entire congregation, the neighborhood, anyone in the town who wants to come to celebrate Hanukkah. They can come. Yeah. So someone just, like, coming into the house is not going to be noteworthy. But the way this man just, like, barges in, face covered, shouting, immediately things are bad. And... Pretty much the second he walks in, he pulls a machete out of a case that he had with him. Oh my god. And this machete, it's described as being the size of a broomstick. So it's like a sword. I was going to say, that sounds like a sword. And he just started attacking people immediately. Five people, all of whom were Hasidic Jews, including Rabbi Rottenberg's son and a 72-year-old rabbi named Joseph Newman, were injured. Rabbi Newman was repeatedly stabbed in the head, and he suffered a skull fracture, and he was unconscious after the attack. The guests pretty much immediately started fighting back, protecting themselves, their loved ones, protecting their people, hitting him with chairs, throwing a table at him, trying to get him away. And he eventually left, and the whole attack... It lasted, like, no more than two minutes. So people were, like, fighting against him, trying to get him to leave, and he was just kind of like, okay, I'm done, and left? I mean, he was, like, attacking people. People were fighting back against him, and I guess at some point he was, like, had to get away. Had to get away or had accomplished whatever fucked up motive he had. Well, he also had another goal that night. Oh. So next door to Rabbi Rottenberg's house was a synagogue that was also, like, headed by Rabbi Rottenberg. Like, it was, he was the main rabbi there. And that was the attacker's next target. And remember, this is the seventh night of Hanukkah, so the synagogue has a lot of people inside, too. Yeah, I'm sure it's completely full, which is probably what it sounds like why that was his second target. Uh, yeah, this is very much an anti-Semitic hate crime. Very If y'all much. could tell so far. But the people in the synagogue, they had heard the screams coming from next door, coming from the rabbi's home. And so they locked the door so that this attacker couldn't get in. That's a smart move. I don't know if I would have thought Mm -hmm. to lock the door. I feel like that seems like such like an, oh, yeah, you hear something outside, lock the door. I don't know why. I feel like that wouldn't be my first instinct. I feel like my first instinct would be the hide. But it's full of people. Well, and I think because there have been quite a few different anti-Semitic attacks against the Jewish community in the U.S., especially in the past few years, I think it was top of mind. I mean, even just in the town of Monsey and around New York, this was 
about a month after a Jewish man had been attacked on the street. There had been a shooting at a Jewish market in, I think, Jersey City just a couple months or weeks before. And I think it was a year or two before, but there was that huge attack on the synagogue in Pennsylvania. Right. I remember that. So this was, so their thought of like, we are screams, lock the door was unfortunately an instinct. I think so. So when the attacker couldn't get into the synagogue, he got in his car and fled the scene. But one of the people that was at the party had seen his car and they'd gotten the license plate. Good gosh. I'm always so impressed with people in these high adrenaline, high stress, highly violent and dangerous situations who can see a license plate and remember it. Oh, I know. At 11.45 p.m., the police now have the license plate number. They've, I guess, entered it into their alert system. And 11.45 that night, a license plate reader on the George Washington Bridge captured his license plate as he's entering New York City. Oh, my gosh. So they had record of the license plate in this one person's, like, notes they jotted down and then also on footage. Yeah. So, I mean, they alerted it. They get the picture from the, I don't know, toll tag. I don't know how it works. But they're like, okay, so we know he's entered Manhattan. They, The police were able to track his vehicle to Harlem with the help of other license plate readers. I don't know how license plate readers work in New York, y'all. But I guess they can follow your car if you're if they tagged yours as an alert one or something. Oh, shit. Creepy, but good in this situation. And this is similar to my case in that Patty was found on surveillance footage when she was at the ATM. And this is one thing, I don't say this to like scare you, but I say it to just have in the back of your mind, if you're in a public place, more often than not, you're on camera somewhere. Your traces, mm-hmm. your your location can be tracked. So This is why so many cases are solved because of security footage or like with the toll tag. Like that is another measure of security slash way to bill someone. I mean, Mm -hmm. before I had a toll tag, literally you can just drive through, they take a picture and they mail you your bill. It's again, like when you take a step back, it's like, oh, that's kind of creepy. But you're always on camera. Just assume you are. Don't be worried about the government's got your information, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they do. But whatever. They have all of our information. I mean, they also have, like, our driver's license photos. But I will say one of the things that on that end starts to get real creepy and uncomfortable is when it starts to move into, like, facial recognition software. That shit's creepy. That shit I don't like. Well, in those videos now that can be made, what is it called? Like, deep... Deep fakes. Yeah, deep fakes are terrifying because they look Mm -hmm. so legit that you really have to know what you're watching to know if it's real or not. So, yeah, technology is creepy and scary, but, I mean, there are positive things that come out of this technology. There's also, it it does open the door for people to abuse that technology. A hundred percent. So police were able to track the suspect's car to Harlem because of the other license plate readers in the city. And then just after midnight, so 15 minutes after they got the ping that he was on the George Washington Bridge, and just two hours after the attack happened, 
officers pulled him over in Harlem and found him covered in blood in his car. And he also had the machete. He'd shoved it like under his front passenger seat and it was covered in dried blood. Oh, for a second, I thought it was his blood. It is absolutely not his blood. It is not his blood. So this attacker was a 37-year-old man named Grafton E. Thomas. And Thomas had been arrested at least seven times since 2001 on charges from assault, resisting arrest, killing or injuring a police animal, driving under the influence, possessing controlled substances, and menacing a police officer. Which I don't know what that one means. Menacing? Like, yelling at them? What does menacing mean? Uh, Scaring them? Like, that one, I don't know the specific details around that case, but the fact that that's an arrestable charge, I'm like, "Mm, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I feel like it depends on what level of aggression he was showing to whether I feel like a police officer being scared is a legitimate arrestable offense. Yeah, it just sounds too close to a reason that like, oh, I was scared, so I arrest him. It's like, but there's no, they didn't do anything wrong kind of thing. Right. Again, I don't know what happened in this case. So Thomas, he'd been in jail in 2013 for the possession charge. And then the charge for like injuring a police animal, he'd punched a police horse. Oh my God. Why the fuck would you do that? Don't punch a horse. I mean- Horses scare the shit out of me. I don't like animals that are bigger than me. I think we've talked about this. I'm not going to punch a horse. They could kick you. I mean, regardless if it's a... Yeah, regardless if it's a police horse or not, I'm not going to punch a horse. Don't punch a horse. Don't punch an animal. The only animal I feel like you should ever punch is a shark that's attacking you. Other than that, why you punch an animals? Or a kangaroo, because they'll punch back. But, like, if they punch you first, maybe, like, get them with a right hook. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can you imagine people who have stories of being punched by a kangaroo? Number one, that does sound like it hurts a lot, and I'm not laughing at that part. Just, like, you got into a fight with a kangaroo. That's actually really scary. Yeah. I know, because kangaroos can kick you to death and are also, like, seven feet tall. I don't know actually how tall kangaroos are, but... Anyway, animals that are bigger than me, I, they scare me, except cows, because it's a cow. They could step on you. I mean, I could step on them. It wouldn't hurt them. They'd be like, get off, bitch. But I'm just saying. Uh, but yeah, don't don't punch a horse. Um, and investigators, when they were looking into Thomas and like searching his home and stuff, they'd found handwritten journals that showed his anti-Semitic views And that included material about Hitler, Nazi culture, and drawings of a Star of David and a swastika. Oh my god. And on the Saturday before the attack, so just before the attack, he, on his phone, had accessed an article that was titled, New York City Increases Police Presence in Jewish Neighborhoods. And also in the weeks before the attack, he'd searched online different things like, Why did Hitler hate the Jews and German Jewish temples near me? He'd also search for Zionist temples in Elizabeth, New Jersey and in Staten Island. So clearly he had been planning this attack and planning, I mean, this hate crime. He was picking his targets. Absolutely. I mean, this this is domestic terrorism. Yes. 
This is... A hundred percent. And Thomas was also under investigation after being arrested on suspicion for having committed the previous stabbing attack that I mentioned a little earlier. That happened on November 20th of 2019. An Orthodox Jewish man was like walking to his early prayer service and was attacked and stabbed. And he survived. He was critically injured, but he did survive. And Thomas is a suspect in that one too. But Thomas also had a long history of some pretty serious mental illness. He'd previously been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and he'd also previously undergone a psychiatric evaluation after, like, confronting a police officer with a knife. So Thomas was arraigned on December 29th of 2019 in the New York State Court on five counts of attempted murder, one count of burglary, And to that, he pled not guilty. Separately from those charges, though, on the next day on December 30th, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York filed a complaint that charged him with five counts of obstruction of free exercise of religious beliefs involving an attempt to kill and use of a dangerous weapon and resulting in bodily injury. And that's a federal hate crime. I'm glad they added this. Because this was so, so th- much more than a- an attack and, like, murder. Yeah. Well, and I think federal hate crimes have to be done by federal courts, like the Southern District. So the state court, I don't they think... They couldn't do that? I I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I don't think they can. I think the district courts have to. But I'm glad that happened, so- because I feel like it would be so easy for it to just not have happened. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it was. it's very clearly... A hate crime. Clearly. So Rabbi Newman, he was one of the victims. He was the one that was stabbed in the head. He was left in a coma after the attack. And in March of 2020, he'd been transferred to a nursing home in New City, New York. And because of coronavirus, the nursing home he was in had very restricted like visitor access to patients. So basically, he was kind of in an isolation ward, essentially. Right. And after 59 days in a coma, on March 29th of 2020, Rabbi Newman succumbed to his wounds and he died. And because of COVID, when he died, his family wasn't able to be there. It's one of those things that I feel like we're all fully aware of. But when you really just sit down to take a moment to think of how that would feel... That is so gut-wrenching. To not be able to be there with your loved one in their last moments. Yeah. When when at any other time, you would be able to. Yeah, you would have been there by their side, but you, you can't. Yeah. I think it's one of the impacts of COVID that some of us know much too well. Right. It is. But others of us don't necessarily think about You know, we know we've heard it, but we don't think about it. And we should. You should. If you've experienced that, I'm really sorry. I hurt for you. Yeah. If you haven't experienced that, just know that there are so many people who have. And just, I don't know. It's, It's almost like one of those, like, just take like a moment of silence because that's fucking unimaginable. Yeah. So after Rabbi Newman's death, the Rockland County District Attorney announced that they would seek a grand jury indictment against Thomas for second-degree murder. And then on April 20th of 2020, 
a federal judge ruled that Thomas was incompetent to stand trial on federal charges and ordered him to be hospitalized in a mental facility. So today he's currently in a mental facility there in New York. And the state of New York is currently proposing legislation that would define certain hate crimes as domestic terrorism because this attack wasn't. Like, legally, they didn't define it as domestic terrorism. How? So New York, I have no idea. Well, and this is something I am not privy to the laws in states of, like, what makes something domestic terrorism and what doesn't. But the fact that this didn't is baffling. Yeah. So New York is currently seeking to change those laws to make crimes like this that are clearly domestic terrorism legally count. And the governor is seeking to have this legislation named in honor of Rabbi Newman. And that is my case. That is the case of the Monzi Hanukkah stabbings. Your case is so recent that it's still happening. Like, things are still going on right now that are deciding the outcomes of this. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things that it hit me so hard about this case because, I mean, right now, this is the first Hanukkah that the Jewish community in this town and everywhere is having since this attack. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the first Hanukkah that the synagogue that Rabbi Rottenberg leads... It's the first Hanukkah he'll be leading since the attack. And if you're listening to this episode on Tuesday when it comes out, it's right now the sixth night of Hanukkah. So it's a very, very impactful, very right now case. Yeah. It feels so different to talk about cases that are so current. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoy this episode and you like hearing the content that we're putting out there, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us those five stars. Let us know what you think. Also, leave us reviews on other platforms, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you can leave a review. I'm not sure where all you can, but if you have the opportunity to leave a review, we'd greatly appreciate if you do. Yes, and also make sure to like and follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a loved one, family member, friend that you're still thinking what to get them for the holidays, check out our merch store, bloodandwinepodcast.com. If they're a fan of the podcast, they want a sweatshirt, tote, t-shirt, hat, all the things, uh, check us out there. Again, thank y'all so, so much for tuning in. We love y'all. Y'all are incredible. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. Happy holidays. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye. 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 Bye.